This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to say thank you so much for your patience with this episode. My apologies for the tardiness in getting it out there. But now that it is here, I want to introduce you guys to Rommel Villa. This gentleman is going to be Spike Lee's prodigy. Why do I say that? Because this guy won the Student Academy Award, reciting from USC. He's originally from Bolivia, and my God, what an impressive individual who covers topics regarding religion, family, science. What Rommel has created is something so pure and personal, and no wonder he received such an award for You really can get a sense for what Rommel's passions are and what his interests are, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode because he is quite the director. Sweet Potatoes is a phenomenal film. And I am just so excited to see what you guys think of it as well. Otherwise, this month in February, which is a much smaller month, we are celebrating Black History Month in our speed dating event at our networking party, which is February 23rd at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I look forward to seeing you there. Be sure to look in the show notes for ways in which you can register for this event. We look forward to having you. And without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Thank you, Thrivers. You have stumbled upon Mr. Thrive Stars of Tomorrow, where together we will discover emerging artist, writer-director Romel Villa. Romel, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It really means a lot that you asked. None of my guests ever ask me, and it makes me feel sad inside, like no one ever would actually care about me. Just kidding. That's not true. But (laughs) No, all of the guests have been super nice and you are a part of that. And it's just a pleasure to have you on the show, especially given some of your recent accomplishments that we are definitely going to be talking about. I could introduce it, but I think it'd be better if you said it in your own words, what the heck happened in your life and who was a part of it? A few months ago, back in October, I got like one of my projects uh, called Sweet Potatoes won a student academy award on the narrative category and I got the award and the notification from Spike Lee. I mean, I, I was just speechless. That's that's all I can say right now. Is there still kind of a shock to the fact that you were handed an award from Spike Lee? I think to be able to to say that sentence, you know, like to make sense of that, like to say that that actually happened, it's still surreal, you know, to to be able to have like a screenshot of like me on, a, on the same Zoom call with Spike, uh, with him, knowing my name with him knowing the name of my project with him knowing that i'm even knowing that i'm from bolivia like it's just it's just still unbelievable i I, i'm speechless every time i talk about it or even the fact that spike lee even watched your project like he chose your project to watch back when he was a student he also won the same award you know student academy award so just seeing what could happen in the future, it's it's exciting. You know, it's both scary and exciting. It's really amazing. What's the scary part about it? I understand the, the exciting part. What is scary about it? I think every, everybody can relate to like, you know, having these uh, dreams that uh, many times seem unreachable or very complicated to, you know, accomplish. And I think that's where the where the fear comes from, you know, like the fact that there is always a possibility, no matter how big, no matter how small, that you may not be able to achieve what you're trying to, you know, 
and um, this is a journey where uh, things change, where there are many obstacles, where where priorities change, you know. So I think that that's where the it's scary comes from, you know, like because it's real, because it's a possibility. And I think that when you care about something, then there is always that element of I don't want to lose it. And in my mind, the place where that metaphor, in my mind, just it's screaming out loud is the idea of you're training all your life to climb Mount Everest. And you've been told by everyone that you are more than qualified, that you're ready to go. You get to the base of Mount, uh, Mount Everest and you look up and you're wondering how the hell are you going to get all the way up there? And I know that feeling, that feeling of intimidation. I remember feeling that at some of the major pivotal points in my education and my career, like the first one, I t- the first time I ever felt that was just trying to get into the thesis program at San Francisco State. I had made these films, wanted to get into this thesis program where you had to apply for it. It wasn't something you just earned. Mm-hmm. And you got you you were announced by finding out whether or not your student ID number was on the list. And mm-hmm. I remember being on a road trip back to San Francisco, fixating way too much on whether or not I was going to make that class. And then I got the email and I checked it out and I made it. And I remember like this huge sigh of relief and just wanting to celebrate. And I'm sure that must've been how it felt the moment Spike Lee handed you, well, virtually handed you that award. 100%, you know, because I think that when you apply or when you submit your work for these kind of awards, at least for me, I didn't really have a lot of expectations, you know, because I'm like, I know that there will be thousands of submissions a lot of quality work. At the end of the day, you don't know who will watch your movie, like what kind of beliefs they have, if they will agree with the message that you're trying to, you know, portray and everything. So it's like, there are just so many variables that you just don't know, you know? I think that the definition of success is not set in stone. I think that why it was hard to believe that we would become semi-finalists and then to become finalists and then to actually being one of the winners, you know? It was beautiful, unbelievable and like, an array of emotions for sure. Well, I'm definitely proud of you for sure. The way you and I met, uh, I believe a student project where neither of us were in charge. I believe I was doing sound and audio right at the time when we. Yeah, met. yeah, yeah. You were you were doing sound. I was producing a film. That's for, right. Yeah, like I, it, it was my roommate's thesis film, and it was like a very complicated one. Uh, oh yeah, that was a complicated shoot for sure. But we got through it. You produced it very well. And now you're here kicking butt, <laughs> earning Student Academy Awards. It's pretty amazing. You were talking a little bit about what success looks like. And aside from earning an award, what kind of what kind of reputation points, so to speak, have you earned from this? What will that do for you in the future? Well, there are many. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, well, first of all, when you win this award, then you become part of the Academy's alumni program. So you get constant invitations and like access to different events, to networking events that are arranged by the Academy, you know, some free passes here and there. So there's obviously like a lot of resources when it comes to that and the connections that you, that I made with fellow filmmakers, fellow winners is also, you know, like it's priceless. Hopefully in the near future, we'll be able to work on projects together, you know, like in different capacities. But I would say that right now, what's been helping me the most, other than everything that I just mentioned, is that I was able to get an Oscar-nominated mentor thanks to the Academy. And who, who, Which mentor is that? His name is uh, Nicolas Celis. He is um, this Mexican producer who produced Roma, like Alfonso Cuarón's Roma, which beautiful won. film. 
Amazing, amazing, incredible, incredible film. So being able to meet with him one-on-one is really, it's eye-opening, it's, it's very helpful, it, it opens a lot of doors, and he's very, you know, open to helping me with career advice, introducing me to people. Honestly, it's, it's a learning experience, you know, so you, you never stop learning, and to be able to learn from such a accomplished producer, it's really, it's a blessing for sure. Sure, absolutely. And to, to bring it back a little bit, I realize for those who are listening and don't know what your film is, can you describe Sweet Potatoes in your own words? Sweet Potatoes is a historical drama based on the real-life events of Luis Miramontes, the Mexican scientist who in 1951 synthesized the uh, principal hormone that gave the birth control pill its functionality. So you could say that he is pretty much the father of the birth control pill. And the film um, talks about the consequences of such revolutionary yet controversial invention, you know, especially back then um, in 1950s when, you know, like in a much more uh, conservative society that which affected both his family and his Catholic religion, which he professed as well. So the, the controversy is the traditional religious persecution of the time in the in the place that he was in from the catholic background denying science of its reality absolutely and i think that it 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 applies to the world that we live in right now as well unfortunately um you know there's always this constant science versus religion kind of constant conflict and this film has that as one of the main themes you see that a lot in uh the traditional communities and most religions honestly there are very few religions i think that are openly accepting to science the most part like the more traditional a lot of these communities are and i'm speaking very much about closed communities that are excluded that aren't accepting of the outside world there is that certain sense of persecution that transcends beyond just the subject of science it transcends into gender it transcends into different roles that people play i can see that and that's very true for Tons of stories. There's a parallel there. And I think that that's a really important story to be told. Why that story in particular? What about that story that drew you to make this film? One aspect that really stuck with me when reading the, like his, his, his life, basically Luis Miramont, was that after his invention, he only got ten dollars. Why? Why? I don't know. I mean, the rest of the money went to the comp- to the company that he was working for, who basically took like who patented the whole his whole work and like got all the recognition, you know. And he was just one of the employees when in reality he was the, the brain behind everything. He was always clear, you know, like he he wasn't doing it for the money, he wasn't doing it for the fame, he was doing it for as a service. Always worried about overpopulation in the world and thinking about the future and the future of his kids and the future generation. Him himself was raised without parents who loved him. He was always constantly thinking about, you know, like being able to have a family should be a choice and etc. You know, and he was obviously selfishly thinking about his own family as well, you know, like because he kept having kids after kids and he has a pregnant wife and it's like, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, uh, abstinence only takes you so far, but then it's a marriage dilemma. And then, so he has this opportunity and of course he, he went for it, but it was that unfairness, putting all the work, putting in all the sacrifices of so much time and an effort and not really getting pretty much anything i could definitely relate to that you know i remember that when i first arrived to the us five years ago my uber driver asked me where i was from and when i said i'm from bolivia 
he was like, oh, well, do you have any cocaine in your luggage? Just had that preconceived notion about you right off the gate, just because you're from Bolivia. Exactly. Uh, discrimination, stereotypes. It's very unfortunate and it is a reality. I could, re I could either, you know, just sit down and cry about it or I could just do something about it. And I really wanted to, through film, uh, show and make a story that showed that we are more than the stereotypes or, or like misconceptions that society may have about us. Like and by us, I mean the Latino community, the misrepresented communities, you know? So I think that Luis Miramontes was the perfect example of someone who is 100% capable of changing the world and not getting the recognition that he deserves. I, Jonathan Boring, have interrupted this program to introduce my own podcast. It's called The Social Spice Podcast. It is a show covering the ever-growing topic of social media marketing. And just how a few simple tweaks to your digital outreach can change the entire course of your business. Let's get you cooking with fire. Again, the name of the podcast is The Social Spice Podcast. Available on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, we're here to help. I particularly love the films that are about breaking glass ceilings and showing a nuanced character through and through that has so much beauty in their own flaws. I think those are my favorite characters. Do you have a favorite character that you could draw from that is fictional that inspires you the most? Specifically characters that show a lot of internal struggle. I think that in Sweet Potatoes, the main character was a scientist, but he was also a man of faith. He would take his family to church every Sunday. He was worried about getting his children baptized. Um, he was a great relationship with a priest. He was his best friend and everything. So somehow he was able to merge these two worlds. But at the same time, he was experiencing a lot of uh, conflict because of that. On the one hand, I have this, this job that I'm passionate about. Um, that I want to do for the rest of my life. But on the other hand, there are these values that I grew up with that I believe that unfortunately you know like are clashing with what i want to do so it becomes a real um, moral dilemma you could say and I, I i can really uh relate to that i was raised a catholic back in bolivia and with a lot of like spiritual values i work at church for over five years and uh, working with kids working with uh, teenagers not only like you know teaching them about religion and god but also like doing a lot of charitable work going uh, outside to the countryside like to work with low-income people and to really share a message of uh love you know and, and understanding but uh, my undergrad is in systems engineering. So I studied a lot of science and I was always passionate about math, physics, chemistry. There was always an internal conflict within me when it came, how far can I go when it comes to believing that this is faith or, you know, like religion or that is meant to be versus the logical side of things, sometimes challenging for me. And that, that was a strong connection that I had with, with the main character of Sweet Potatoes. And that's pretty amazing when I when I wrap my noggin around that, just because you are playing this balancing game on the tightrope of this wide spectrum that is tradition and religion to science and logic, as you said. And that's mm -hmm. not an easy balance to come by. Where does film fit in all of that? Film helps start these conversations, I think. It helps portray these stories. I don't think I necessarily look like to answer any questions um, with film. I think I 
it's more about me drawing or writing or exposing my own questionings here i like writing them down when you film them and when you see the characters coming to life and then you're like wow they are having these interesting conversations or they are doing these questionable things you know um, or they're making these weird decisions or smart decisions, then I think it, it helps you as a filmmaker, it helps you grow and learn about yourself and learn from the team that you're working with and from the story itself. Film helps, you know, just um, expose these, these questions, these taboos, these insecurities. It's a very therapeutic yet stressful job. <laughs> yeah, you could say that again. In any experience I've ever been on any film set, it's an incredibly personal bonding experience. Every time you leave a set, you always feel like you're having the most fun you never want to have again. Because you, but you're going to have to do it again the next day and drudge through that whole day for sure. I want to bring it back one more time because I have to ask a fanboy question. Okay. What was Spike Lee like? <laughs> well, first of all, he was wearing the, the most like the coolest clothes you can possibly imagine like classic yeah new york hat of course he's very cool glasses you know amazing room remember that i look at the furniture and i was like damn that's amazing he's very kind he's very loving he's very supportive i always remember when people remember my name uh, i think I, I don't know it's one of those little things that helps me see if there is this engagement. I feel that sometimes we just forget people's names and we just say, hey, how are you or bye, when you at least remember the person's name. It just, it matters to you. He definitely made me feel like he was talking to me and not just like reading out of a script, if that makes sense. And I remember that he told me like, so what are you writing right now? And I'm like, well, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and uh, I've been writing this feature, but I'm only on page 25 or something. And he was like, only page 25? You have to promise me that you will write three pages every single day. No excuses. And I was like, yeah, but he was like, no excuses, you know? And I was like, okay, I promise. Yeah, but he was like, no excuses. Okay, I promise you. The next day I wrote three pages and the following days I did. He is definitely an inspiring person you can tell after talking to him for five seconds that he has a huge like passion for film that's incredible and i'm telling you um charlie i'm so glad that just now you said my name because i was about to test you to make sure that you knew my name so that way we had that same engagement that you were talking about just to mess with you a little bit but you know <laughs> as, I, as i was talking i was like i need to say charlie <laughs> <laughs> to validate his his presence. <laughs> Thank you, Romel. I appreciate that. And now I'm see. I'm now I'm gonna just intentionally use your name wherever I can, Romel. So that Please way, Romel, you can hear Romel what I'm saying. Okay, Romel. And <laughs> but no, that that is really amazing. And he himself sounds like a phenomenal mentor. Not too hard for me to imagine him being a loving and nurturing guy while still holding that swagger. I think that's a really good balance to his personality that he knows how to treat himself and yet doesn't flaunt it too much because the part of him that demands presence is his personality, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that, that brings it back home and it's not too distracting, which is really great. That's pretty yeah. amazing. You talked a little bit about your early life in Bolivia. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's hatch that. You're from Ooh. Bolivia. What part of Bolivia? I'm from the south. The city is Sucre, which is actually the, the capital of Bolivia. Small a colonial city. 
most of the houses, especially downtown, they are only, you know, two floors. They are white uh, with bricks. Uh, beautiful. It's a stunning, stunning city um, okay. that, I, that I really love and adore. I was raised by my parents and I have a sister older than me. And she already has two kids and a family. And I'm the only one who's like still single. You heard it there, guys. You're going to get his contacts. So you can ask him out at the end of this at the end of the show. Okay, guys. So just so, just so yeah, I mean, uh, growing up, to be honest, I was more like of, uh, I guess, I don't know, like a bookworm kind of guy, uh, like studying a lot to my daddy was very important, you know, for us to, he would always say, you have to be the best, you have to be the best, you have to be the best. If I got like, I don't know, second place in a class, he would be like, yeah, being second, it's okay, but it's not the same as being the first. Um, Did that add a lot of pressure? You have no idea how much pressure that adds. I think because I felt like I couldn't have a break. It stayed engraved in my brain that I had to just be the best at everything. And by everything, I mean gymnastics included, soccer included, PE included, everything, everything like sports. And of course, I'm not the best at sports. I don't really like soccer. And I had to be the best at freaking soccer um, because my dad was so passionate about it. I feel like I did uh, feel a lot of pressure when growing up, perform to always be the best, like not only me, but my sister as well. And I think, unfortunately, that there are traumas that stay with you. If I'm not, you know, doing what I'm told or what I'm expected to, I would get punished. So there was definitely like some physical abuse. There was some emotional abuse growing up. And Sorry was, to hear that. Yeah, no, thank you. And that was definitely tough to experience. Uh, but then I don't know. I think I also learned that it's important to, you know, know and understand people's backstory. When it comes to my dad, his parents got divorced when he was a kid, my grandparents, you know, like, and, and my grandfather moved on really quickly with a, he got a new wife and new kids. And he pretty much left his first family, you could say, including his children who were like eight or 10. I think my dad and my grandma had to work all the time and she didn't have time be a mother in a sense of like, provide that emotional love you know to to her to her children because she had to work you know which is also understandable but unfortunately that affects you you know so I think that made my dad being more like I guess less affectionate less vulnerable more like tough when it comes to you have to be the best you know because that's that's what he learned to be you know and that's not an excuse but it helped understanding that but it was difficult you know so I always felt like I didn't fit in in Bolivia, not only because, you know, like of the constant pressure and, you know, sometimes the abuse growing up uh, that eventually stopped, uh, but also because growing up, I realized this was later on, though, when I went to college that I was that I had been, you know, like when it comes to, I guess, my personal life and dating that I have been dating, you know, like uh, many girls, but not really had like a serious relationship. It was in college when I realized that I liked guys. And being in a conservative society, as it was and still is, you know, in, in certain degree, Bolivia, it was scary. And there was a lot of denial. I think the having that dream of leaving the country and not necessarily coming to the U.S., you know, but going anywhere other than your country where you can be maybe more accepted or, to be honest, where you can kind of like try to figure out who you are. That was uh, important to me. And I actually didn't realize how important it was until I actually got here. And I was like, oh shit, I can, I can be, I guess I can be myself or try to figure out, you know, like right. in a better way. So now, it, it was quite a journey. 
I, I can imagine. But I, have you have you gotten the chance to visit back home since coming out and finding your true self? You know, coming out was a terrifying yet beautiful experience. As I said, like I came here to the US five years ago and two months before I came, uh, I went to USC. I, I did my master's in film over there. Two months before I came to LA, my parents, you know, told me that, or told us, me and my sister and the whole family, that they were getting divorced. They actually never got married. I, my dad didn't believe in marriage. Um, he didn't want to. My mom, that was her dream to get married. But my dad never wanted, so there was a lot of cheating going on, fortunately. The, the healthiest thing for sure, I think for both of them, was that decision that they made. As a child, you know, like, it's it's heartbreaking to experience that. And to me, it was even more because I was like, well, I'm leaving my mom. I'm leaving my my family, you know, behind to pursue a dream that I'm not sure if I'll be able to accomplish. I visited them at the end of the year, every year usually, except this past year because of the pandemic. But, you know, for the holidays, I would come and visit them. And I could, it was always difficult to find the right words or to find the courage to like speak to them, you know? And I think it was also because I didn't really knew who I was, you know? I knew what I kind of like liked, you know, my preferences and that there was something different going on. But because at USC, I was focusing more on studying and working and staying in the country as an international student, then put a lock on the personal life, you know, that I could have here. And it wasn't until over a year ago, I met a guy and fell in love. And, you know, that was that feeling love for somebody was something that I didn't know I could feel, if that makes sense. You know, I was like, and, there is and, he, and, he, and he was your first love, right? I, you could say that. Yeah, yeah, I, definitely. You know, I mean, there were there were people like, you know, um, that I met in the past where I definitely had, you know, feelings, but this was kind of like on, an, on another level, you know, that's why I, I, I am confident enough to say that I did fall in love. And I think that was new, scary, beautiful, like all, uh, oh my gosh, like I was like, am I feeling butterflies? Yikes. Um, but, uh, so the pandemic, you know, like hit, and then we went to quarantine in March or yeah, around March, I believe last year. And then I don't know, I had like a freak out, you know, I was like, uh, what, what if I get COVID? What if something happens to me? I don't have any family here and I want to be able to kind of like something happens to me or whatever. Uh, to be honest with my family, at least they, I care about them the most. Over here, I was honest with my friends and everything, but my family, I, I love them dearly. And I wanted to be able to be honest with them, you know, and to tell them who I am, I guess. And since, and so, I don't know, I, I told my parents, uh, I told my mom, I told my sister. Um, I knew that it was going to be, you know, fine eventually because I had a very close relationship with both of them. And... My mom was, you know, beautiful. I remember, I just want you to be happy and like you have my support. And she did encourage me, you know, she was like, maybe you can talk to a psychologist or something, um, which I, I didn't think it would be a bad idea. And I didn't take it the wrong way at all. And, and you know, she was, you know, always asking questions, trying to be careful. I remember that she even told me like, um, should I call you son or daughter? And I was like, no, mom, I'm still like a guy, you know, right. like I'm a man. And this is more just about orientation, like your sexual orientation. Sure. Because um, for someone from a traditional society in Bolivia, they're still learning about homosexuality, even though it's about, taboo. Uh, about, yeah, yeah, yeah. About, you know, it's all a learning process for sure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all. But I mean, 
by no by no means did I take that in the wrong way, for example, you know, because I was like she was asking something, you know, and I think, you know, when you don't know something, when there is some when there is lack of knowledge, the best thing you can do is ask, you know, and inform yourself. And I think that's exactly what my mom did instead of just like assuming or like doing something else, you know, which I think would have been wrong. So she took the the right approach and accepting that she didn't know and that she needed to learn more about how to even deal with this, even though it's challenging to come out to your family, to your friends, but this coming out, it's also, it has an effect, you know, on, on your family and, and on friends and people. And I think it's, it's fair to understand that to them, this is, this could be a change, you know, and like, because these are news. So you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I wanted to do that. And I remember that my mom was, you know, very accepting, very loving. She was the first person I told. And she was like, I'm going to keep the secret for you. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to tell my sister maybe in a week. And then my dad, maybe in person, because, you know, dad is dad. Um, and then the day after I told my mom, she, she contacted me and she's like, I told your sister. <laughs> Cats out I was of the like, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mom, well, she did me the favor, you know, like, so I was like, okay, well, I mean, I guess I just need to talk to my sister, like, you know, yeah. and she already did me the favor. So my sister would have time to like reflect and whatever. Sure. And and was, how, how did your sister take it? I grew up with my sister. We grew up as twins, basically, you know, okay. like doing everything together, being each other's confidence and everything. So she was probably the one that I was least worried about in terms of like her taking her in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. uh, we went through her pregnancy together. She got pregnant when she was 17, 18. So, wow. which was so tough, you know, we went through a lot together. You just know these things. So, right. Uh, if anything, she was upset because I hadn't told her earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, I had because I hadn't told her first, you know, so it was more like a brother sister, like kind of like argument, you know, why didn't you tell me before? Why? Uh, like, instead <laughs> yeah. of like, you know, like, are you sure? Like, there was no such thing, you know, it was more like just like a loving sibling kind of like rivalry uh, sure. conversation, which was kind of nice. And then how and did then, the, the big one is how did the dad take it? So with my dad, it was, I remember that I think it was two or three weeks after I told my mom that I was like, I cannot hold this, you know, I, I don't feel, it doesn't feel right that they know and that my father doesn't know. Um, so I told my mom, you know, I called her and I was like, I'm going to tell dad tonight. And my mom was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And so something interesting about my family is that even though my parents are separated, they live in the same house their house you know they are quarantining there neither of them wants to leave because both of them have their own businesses in the house also so it can be like a little bit of a i don't know like confusing relationship there that is interesting um, yeah and it's very so in my you know my my house back in bolivia has like four it's like a four-story house my my dad and my mom's businesses are on the first floor my dad lives on the second floor. My sister and her family live on the third floor. And my mom lives on the fourth floor. So in a way, they have their own independent apartments, but they live in the same house. You know, so they, you guys really keep the, your your family world small in a certain sense. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. It's like <laughs> the most dysfunctional, functional family. Well, in many uh, ways, I'm, I'm jealous because I've, I've always wanted a big family. You know, I've, I've always pretty much like my immediate family that I have access to. My mom, yeah. my dad. And then uh, we have a dog and I'm an only child. So uh, oh. no, no siblings. The, the one, the two family members that live here in, in California or that, that lived here in California. So there's my aunt and, yeah. and she's still alive and I see her when I can, but it's been really hard during this pandemic. 
And then there's my grandma on my dad's side and we were best friends and I would always visit her every Saturday and we'd go grab breakfast at IHOP. I'd pick her up in my car. Me and my grandma would uh, grab breakfast at IHOP and then go see a movie every Saturday together. She was my best friend. And then uh, my senior year of college, she passed away. And so um, the rest of my family in the world is spread all over. Um, so I have some family in Michigan. I yeah. have some family in New York, but we don't talk as often just because we're out of sight, out of mind from each other. And it's a little bit heartbreaking because they are really cool and I would like to get to know them more. But then I have family in the UK. And believe it or not, out of all of my family, the ones that are farthest away all the way in the United Kingdom are the ones I'm closest with. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting stuff. So it makes me a little sad, but I'm also a little bit envious, even though it's dysfunctional from what you described yeah. uh, on your end, like how closely tight-knit your family is. I've always, yeah. I've always dreamt of having big family gatherings. And I personally would like to have three children because I want to make sure that, that they have children and that there's a big family that stems from me. I think three is a good number. Yeah. Um, so I just, I very much believe in, in having a big family and fostering a big family. And right now that's just not what I have. Yeah. Part of what scares me a little bit, and this is not a big deal and I'll, I'll stop hijacking the show. I promise. Um, <laughs> what scares me is that as an only child, I'm the last Volk technically. Mm. So there is pressure. So there's, a, there's pressure for me to marry. Mm. There's pressure for me to, to have my shit together and to, to make a, a woman happy. And, and to get married. And those are things that, by the way, I'm totally for. So it's not too much pressure. It's not like they're, it's not like they're twisting my arm because I do want to have my shit together. I do want to have a woman and I do want to be able to support three children. Yeah. But it's also like there's that there's that feeling of being at the bottom of Mount Everest that I described before, right? <laughs> being, the feeling, that feeling of looking up and going, oh, shit, how am I going to do all of this? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah. uh, and I'm sorry to hear about your grandma. Uh and uh but it's, it definitely sounds like you know you guys have like a beautiful like genuine relationship which is really amazing it's, it's fascinating to me how we learn from our parents mistakes from our past generations mistakes and there are things that happen to us that we are like i'm not gonna do this you know like or or i was an only child you know and i went through all these things you know and i wish i had you know like siblings or whatever uh if i have kids I want, I don't want them to go through the same thing, you know, and then kind of like you grow up with that mentality and it becomes like your, your Mount Everest, you know, like that, that you want to climb. But it's, um, I think that's where that fear comes from. I think, I think fear is good, you know, like when it oh, comes, yeah. it, it encourages you to just keep going, you know, and not uh, giving up because you know what's at stake. Everything that you say, I, I'm sure that everybody can relate to in a way. And that's beautiful. And I would just like to agree on the notion that fear is a good thing, like what you just described. Fear is a fantastic motivator. There's this one individual named uh, Don Allen Stevenson III. He's an RA, and he his, his little side story, he works with DreamWorks, and he is on the cutting edge of uh, 3D animation and CGI, and he's always uh, pushing for augmented reality and how augmented reality is going to change. And he's made, he's turned himself into an influencer on social media through the exploration of animation and 3D animation and augmented reality. He's been exploring all that and has become an influencer on social media before he really, really, really got big. He was already pretty popular when I was friends with him. I remember I got to visit him at DreamWorks and I asked him, what's his motivation for being as, as busy as he is? And he said, it's fear because he is afraid of dying. Oh. And fear is a fantastic motivator. And without death, we would not have any consequence. If we, 
if human beings didn't die ever, if we were impervious to death and we just lived on forever, we would never have the motivation to do anything. There would be no consequence in life. It's interesting because to me, what, what terrifies me is the whole idea behind eternity, you know, like the existing forever. Oh my gosh, like being a vampire sounds cool, but living forever is like, what? That sounds like torture to me. Well, it sounds boring too. Right. I, I spoke so, with a I spoke with a guy who said he could he would love to learn for he would love to live forever because he could just learn and learn and learn because he loves learning that much. And my thought is that just sounds boring because you're eventually gonna meet people. If you were to live forever, if you're the only person in the world who could live forever, you eventually just meet people who are mortal and you have to you I feel like you'd eventually become a sociopath because you see the full cycle of life and death happening over and over. And you're going to get numb to it. Mm. And eventually you're going to start to do the crazy things in order to make life more interesting. That's a movie in itself. <laughs> it be. That's a movie idea right there. Definitely. <laughs> I think that's still going back to your family. I think that's really beautiful on, in terms of how your family is dysfunctional, that there, you know, there was a divorce, there was a clear divide and a split, but they yeah. still live together and they do it in a way that's peaceful. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who have experienced divorced families that are so diametrically opposed that it's like water to oil. They would just never mix. They will never. Yeah. I remember I talked to my mom a couple of weeks ago and I, and I, and I asked her for the very first time, I was like, it must be so difficult for you to like live in the house. Um, and to like, uh, know that, you know, my dad probably sees other women has, I don't think my mom is not seeing anybody right now. She's on her right. But I know that I believe that my dad, has somebody i just wanted to make sure that you know that she was okay and that she knew that it's also okay you know if she wanted to leave or or do whatever she wants or you know like or meet us to help her find a place to get her a place you know happy to um but i feel that you know part of the reason why she keeps staying or she kept staying was because my sister loved having the the family together you know um and and the in the grandchildren they live there and they love having their their grandpas like the grandparents like there you know so um, at the end of the day you're looking for happiness I guess just to finish with the whole coming out story I told my mom I'm gonna tell my dad tonight and then it was we we planned it I don't know how he's gonna take it he might be traumatized um, hate me I don't know what's gonna happen so I will tell him and after I talk to him I will let you know. And then my mom was like, okay, as soon as you let me know, after you talk to him, I'm going to go down to the second floor. I'm going to go to the kitchen just to pretend to do something. And then if he needs to talk to somebody, he will come to the kitchen and he will talk to me. And I will be like, oh, wow, perfect time. I I called my dad. I was terrified. I don't think I've ever been so terrified in my whole life. Fortunately, you know, like I I have a job, I, I work, you know, I can pay for all my bills. I don't depend financially from my parents. But still, there was the whole, I don't know, like feeling, I don't know, rejected or like him hating me, like the reason why you're alive, basically, you know, that hates you. I don't know. Like, it was just scary to me. When I told him, I was just crying and he was just listening in in silence. And after, I think, like a minute, which felt like hours of like silence, he told me that that deep down his um, ship dressed as a wolf um and that you know that he pretends like he doesn't you know have feelings or that and he's cold or or that he he only cares about you know appearances but at the end of the day he just wants us to be happy me to be happy wow Um, 
and I could tell that he was struggling 100%. I think his response was such a huge relief. I was speechless. Yeah. And but, there was nothing there was nothing from your previous life that could have prepared you for that response. Not really, you know. And and even though I said that I knew that things were going to be okay with my mom and my sister, at the end of the day you never know how people are going to react sometimes, you know? Uh right. so it was it was definitely tough, but it was such a huge relief. Um and then my dad told me, you know, that he needed, I guess, some time to, you know, think, to assess things. And he was like, your mom and I will talk, we'll call you tomorrow, he told me. Okay. And then we hang up. And then I called my mom. I just told him, he's, he was okay. I will tell you about it later. But uh, it seems like he needs to talk to somebody. And then she told me that she went downstairs to the kitchen and she pretended to do something. And that my dad went into the kitchen and that he told her that he had just spoken to me. Um, and that both of them hugged each other and they started to cry uh, for a while. And that after after a few minutes, my dad asked my mom to get back together. I don't really know the thinking process behind it, his thinking process, but there is something beautiful about, you know, how vulnerable you can get in like important moments like this, you know? Um, so, wait, wait. So just to make sure I completely understand, you're saying that because you came out and you trigger this emotional response, your dad asked your mom to get back together? Yes. And did she say yes? No, she said no eventually. Okay. I haven't really like, thought in depth about why whatever happened happened, you know, or why, what led him to decide to, to ask this question. And I don't know how many more conversations they, have, they had afterwards. But um, in that moment, I think, you know, they just felt, you know, so close to each other like they have such a strong bonding and they have you know these children that you know came out of the love that they had um the only the only thing i could think of and i'm of course no psychologist <laughs> i'm no professional but the only thing i could think of from what you described and i could be terribly wrong is that the moment you expressed yourself to your father maybe have was the moment that your father realized how much of your life and your development he missed because of the divide in your family. And maybe he thought to himself that the best way for him to reconnect with the family would be to get back together with your mom. That's the only thing I could think of. Um, and of course I, I could be terribly wrong and I don't want to put words in your mouth and tell you what happened with your parents, but that's the only thing I could think of, but I that think is a beautiful story. I think it comes, it, and it goes along the lines of what you're saying. I think it, it comes from being vulnerable, as, uh, as, as we're saying, you know? And, like, I think my dad saw how relieved I was with, like, just me, I guess, telling the truth and saying what I was feeling in the moment. Um, and I know that he hasn't practiced that enough, you know? Um, and he, in the past, he had asked my mom to get back together, and they tried it. And they were back together for a few months and then it didn't work out and then, you know, they separated, you know? So I think that uh, in these moments when, you know, my dad doesn't know how to handle his emotions and things like that, my mom, her emotional intelligence on, the, on, a, on a great level, you know, she's, she's incredible when it comes to that. And I think that helped, you know, in a way complement both of them. So I think that in that moment, he really needed, you know, this emotional support and, maybe part of him realized, you know, like she understands me, she knows me, she knows that I need her, you know, I don't know. So it's, 
I see it as a vulnerable moment, whether he like truly meant it or not. Whatever the reason is, you know, I I think I'm okay with really not knowing where this come from uh, comes from. But but more, I like to stick with the fact that this opening up that came, you know, from me. Uh, my fear was that it would divide the family more or create conflict, and instead it brought them together. You know, uh, and I think that's that's a huge relief. That is huge. And that that's that 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 is such a beautiful story. And I, I want to thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. And I hope that one day you find a way to express that story through film, in which ties into a funny thing that I was thinking of as you're describing, which is any parent who has a filmmaker for a child better be scared that one day their story is going to be told to the entire world. So they better be good parents, right? <laughs> they better be <laughs> they better be while we're talking while, while we're segueing the film here i'm going to be very blunt that was a segue you studied at usc right how, how long did you go to usc for uh it's a three-year program you did a three-year program with usc yeah. and that was right that was after you had studied computer sciences right yes right. yes where did yes. you study computer sciences in bolivia in, in sucre okay um, yeah, so I started computer sciences or systems engineering there, and I realized that I love technology 100%, um, but but I didn't like love, I, I guess not that side of technology, you know, like right. Um, it, it was more about I guess my interest for post production, visual effects, like things like that that I was more passionate about, you know. But um, sure. the film, you know, industry and film schools in Bolivia, unfortunately, are at least back then, you know, they were not. Uh, they, they were they're non-existing you know or not you know the, the best places to go to so um, that's why I looked for opportunities I don't know like I was just lucky enough to get accepted to USC and to be able to you know like get scholarships and, and whatever I could get afforded because it's a it's a very expensive school it's pretty remarkable have you ever been to Cinegear no I feel like you would love Cinegear when it when the world opens back up and we do conventions again in person in the Paramount Pictures back lot, they always show the new cutting edge technology for free in the back lot of Paramount Pictures, which is it's just it's just literally a, a giant fair of film technology. And I've always loved going because they always show these amazing cranes. They always show uh, really cool uh, new cameras and camera rigs and drones and uh, car rigs and it's always something that's really amazing to look at and that really is a display of where technology meets film it's very cool so i feel like you would love that that's totally up your alley oh yeah no no thanks thanks for letting me know yeah 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 i'll tell you what when the world opens back up you and i let's go together let's do it that sounds great amazing <laughs> <laughs> what entails the future for your films I think Sweet Potatoes is the first chapter or the first episode uh, of like a series of stories that I would love to develop, you know, of all these basically revolutionary lives who made a difference in the world. But, you know, focusing on the humanity behind like these these people versus their inventions or whatever they did to, to change the world. I, I remember how passionate I was and I am about like, you know, like, making sweet potatoes so I, I would definitely love just find all these you know like voices uh or, or all these important people that didn't really have a voice back then and you know like just to bring these stories to life and to to show the world how just fascinating these stories are but also how relevant they are 
in the present, you know, even though they happened in the past, you know, like, I think it's, that's both entertaining and it has an educational value for sure. Uh, with my producers, I'm working on that and like writing a new episode, like what the, I guess what the next episode would be. Um, I've been writing a couple of feature films, thinking about which one would be the first one that I would want to, I would want to film. And uh, I have a writer back in Bolivia, uh, Simon, who, and we are kind of like co-writing story that we would also love to shoot, you know, and in the meantime, I, I work at USC right now. You work at USC. What do you do at USC? I work in the post-production department, focusing on like giving technical support to all the classes, all the film productions in the School of Cinematic Arts. And also I'm a faculty of film production editing at USC. Amazing. I did not realize that you work at USC and that's awesome. You're doing some incredible stuff and it sounds like you have a really amazing series of films to check out. If someone wanted to reach out and find a way to collaborate with you and work with you, what is the best way to reach you? I have a website, uh, uh, romelvillafilms.com. Uh, you can go there to check some of my work and uh, there's like their uh, contact menu or thing where you can reach out to me. You can also find me on social media, uh, on both Instagram and Facebook with uh, at RomelVB, that's R-O-M-M-E-L. V as a Victor and B as big. Amazing. All that information will be displayed in the show notes of this episode. And finally, Romel, the question I ask everyone on this podcast, what will you be famous for? I think I would love to be remembered for stories that I tell. I'm really not afraid of like exploring taboos, difficult subjects, showcasing stories of misrepresented people and communities that didn't have a voice for stories that are considered, you know, taboo. The weirder they are, the better they are to me. Like make stories that show the beauty of the society that we are not used to uh, watching or experiencing or living. If people could say that, oh, I watched, you know, like a movie or a project or something of Rumel that where I learned about this person or this community or, or you know, or, or about these stereotypes and like it just brought up conversations about life and things, then that would definitely be something really nice to see, you know, this might be like a pageanty answer to give, but I think I believe that we can all do something to make the world better. And I feel like that if through film, I can send, you know, some sort of message that opens up conversation for people, then by all means, I'll, I'll do my best to make that happen. Romel Villa, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Thank you so much, Charlie. It was a pleasure. If you've listened this far, it must mean you're a thriver. I want to thank you so much for listening. We want to stay connected with you. So please, in order to do that, we need you to follow every single one of our social media platforms. Can you do that? Follow us at Mr. Thrive Media, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all the same. Also, we want to keep you completely informed as to all the services that we provide. You can do that by going onto our website, www.mrthrive.com. That is mrthrive.com. Have a great day, and thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.